0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Well, welcome, everyone. It is Friday, January the 14th, 2022. It is currently 5.32 p.m. Central Time. And you know where I am right here in this empty sanctuary where I spend so much of my life is spent right here inside an empty sanctuary of a church located in the middle of nowhere Texas doing as many live broadcasts as I can trying to benefit and help as many people as I can am I always successful absolutely obviously I'm not do are all the broadcasts good Obviously not. Some people love some. Some people are are, are not very interested in others, but I, I do as much as I can to try to benefit as many people as possible. And the thing that I think is the most beneficial of anything that I try to do is to try to get you to study your Bible. And that's why we do the Bible study exercises. That's what we do each week. One passage of scripture, an entire week dedicated to, to studying it, reading it, talking about it. And we use a lot of different tools to try to help us, right? Obviously, we have the podcast episodes, right? That's there. Get talking about it, doing some teaching, giving you homework, giving you assignments. You have the podcast. Then we have the curriculum, which is free to anyone who wants it. Uh, You you just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Say, I want access to the curriculum. I'll send you a link. It's free. You have the curriculum. You have the Bible Memory app, which is free as well. You have the Bible Memory app, which uh, th- that's there to help you memorize at least a verse in the passage that we are studying. So there, that's there's Bible Memory. So you've got curriculum, you've got teaching, you have homework and assignments. I mean, you've got so much available to you. And you also have the ability, if you want to be a part of the Discord Theology Central group, it's it's you can You can chat and talk about whatever we 're studying that week and many other issues related to doctrine, theology, and whatever we 're talking about. You can see well one of our listeners has now become the official official chart maker of the theology central podcast, so whenever we need a chart, we just tell them, "Hey, make a chart," and then they make a chart, and there it goes. It outlines like they made a chart for uh, I think all the verses that uh, all the verses that uses the phrase day of the Lord. They made a chart of all of that. Uh, there was a number of other I can't remember all the charts now, but they there are chart maker. So th- but those get posted in the Discord group, and the Discord group allows for conversation, exhortation, encouragement. That's good. I, it's encouraging to me when they say, hey, I, I really, I, I got something out of, I heard that podcast and that was really good. Any any encouragement, that, that's as well. And I try hopefully to be encouraging to them and their study and what they're working on. So we have lots of, all of those things are available to try to benefit as many people as possible. I want to thank uh, the people who helped support us just, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, maybe 20 minutes ago. I can't remember. I got an email notification. I think I was live on the air, and uh, someone had went to theologycentral.net, hit the donate tab, and gave us a a gift, a financial gift, and I just, that's encouraging, Uh, and that helps support the curriculum so that anyone, anywhere can gain access to Bible study curriculum. So we use lots of tools, but it's really just, there's so many, look, there's so many issues always going on, and all I can ever say is, just get people studying the word of God. I think the word of God is where I'm just, I'm convinced. I mean, you can argue and argue about so many issues. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? Let's not argue. Let's open our Bibles and study. Now I know that studying the text of scripture can lead to disagreement, but what I have seen in my own my for my own, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, and maybe just right now we're going through a good period of time, and sooner or later someone's going to become a part of the study group who's just going to want to disagree with everything. But what I've seen is you've, if you have people who'll set aside their pride, their arrogance, and just approach the text in a humble way, saying they're willing to learn, and they're willing to dig in and dig in, and their focus is on studying the text more than trying to just prove their theological point, I think what typically happens is we find far more agreement than we do disagreement. Not like if you come to the text already with your presupposition in mind, and you're just ready to argue, then that doesn't doesn't help anyone. But if everyone just says, okay, here's the text. Let's study. I'm going to set aside all of my presuppositions. Let's dig in. I think a lot of times we find... That we that we find a lot of agreement. I I I think it's possible. I don't. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be some disagreement, and 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 the way we resolve disagreement, it's simple. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. I'm joking. I'm joking. But uh, I I I think I think the Bible study exercises are very important, and I'm just I just I I know I'm always promoting them, but we kind of have an entire. It's really cool, kind of what's developed. We've got curriculum. We got a place to to talk and discuss what we're studying. We got a Bible memory app so you can memorize it. Uh, we have we we just talked about it in the last broadcast. We now have an app that gives us commentaries from the early church fathers. Which I'm not going to mention it right now in this because we're gonna we're gonna find out how to bring that into our uh, discussion. You get homework. I mean, there's just I mean, it's kind of like if you think about it, the Bible study exercise. If you really think about it, the Bible study exercise podcast episodes. It's almost like a Bible Institute, a Bible college, and a seminary for free. And I I just hope that we can find more people who actually want to be a part of studying the Bible and uh, we'll, we'll start listening and participate as much as possible. But I've said all of that to get us ready to go. Are you ready? We've been working on the book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah. Let me open up my Bible to Obadiah. I know I should have already had it ready to go, but that's all right. The book of Obadiah. I just like hearing the turning of the pages, all right? Because yeah, I, I like to actually use a physical Bible, all right? The book of Obadiah. We've done so much in it so far. We've done overviews. We, 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 we did a little detour. Now, I didn't get a lot of feedback from the detour. I don't know, uh, that, that, that sometimes makes me worried that I didn't really do a good job on it. But we t- took a detour talk about the day of the Lord. And I I just think it's very important because obviously that phrase appears at the end of Obadiah. Obadiah 1 uh, verse, is it? Oh, I'm in Micah. Okay. I'm like, why is that not making any sense? And again, there's no chapter. So just Obadiah verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall uh, return upon thine own head. We went to the book of Joel and try to look at, like, the all these things that are really connected with the day of the Lord. It's imminent, it's a day of judgment, darkness, all of these things, really to try to give us an idea, what is the day of the Lord? When will it occur? And, and, and I hope it was beneficial, um, But but we, I mean, well, only you can tell me if it was beneficial. But today, let's go back to Obadiah, verse one. This is the memory verse for this week. This is the memory verse for this week, all right? Who has it memorized? Who, 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 who has it memorized? The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord that an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. Memorize that. Memorize. Why do you want to memorize? Because if you memorize Obadiah 1, you'll always know what Obadiah is about. You'll always know that it's basically God's word to Edom. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming against you, Edom. All right? So, don't forget that. Now, I'm going to leave my Bible open to the book of Edom, the book of Edom. I'm going to leave my Bible open to Obadiah, which is a book that contains God's word of judgment to Edom. I have that ready right here, but I'm going to open up my iPad and I'm going to the Bible study curriculum. Because in this episode, it's all about the Bible study curriculum and how they handle Obadiah, what they do with it. We're going to see if we agree, disagree, what we can learn. I know this takes us a little bit away from actually working through the text, but I'm just trying to throw a lot of, I mean, one week, there's only a limited amount of time, so I'm trying to give you lots of different things and perspectives. I even wanted to try to throw in a sermon review in the middle of all of this. We're running a little bit out of time. We'll see what we can do tomorrow, and I still may do something with it on Sunday. I still may do something with it on Sunday. We will see. We will see, all right? But here we go. We're going to go to Bible study curriculum. We are, in fact, let me just go back here. Uh, It is called Special Focus, January the 16th, Seeking Justice in an Unjust World. Seeking Justice in an Unjust World. Now, let's just stop right here because immediately, now I know for the people in the Bible study group, right who, are, who are, when i say the people who are a part of it anyone's a part of it but there are people who are actively participating they email me their homework they so i i view that there's a group of people who are actively participating and there are others i may not know that you're out there so but but the people who are actively participa- participating i don't believe any of them when they saw the this title seeking justice in an unjust world i don't think they I, I could be wrong i don't think any of them immediately went oh brother here we go. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. But there's a reason some people will do that in 2022 or 2021. Because when they hear seeking justice, many immediately go, oh no, this is that social justice stuff. This is that woke stuff. And immediately in their mind, you hear justice. They think of a social justice warrior. They think of it almost from a Liberal, they see it from a liberal. They see it as something connected to liberalism, wokeism, a critical race theory. They they connect it with that kind of thing, and I think that's very unfortunate. That now Christians, if we want to talk about justice, you're immediately labeled a liberal or that you're woke or that you're progressive, and we've got to fight against that. The discussion of justice, it's a biblical discussion now. Their use of Obadiah, we could, can we call that into question? Maybe we can. Maybe they shouldn't be using Obadiah for this. But I think and, and when, when we were working, and we still are, through the imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, I had it right here. We talked about justice because he talked about it. It's a biblical subject. In fact, let me do, do something right here. I could be wrong. I'm just going to grab a Bible dictionary really quick. I'm going to uh, open it up and see, is there an entry for justice in the Bible dictionary? I could be wrong. Let me see here. There's judges. There's judgment. and uh, Justice. Oh, yes. Uh, Justice. The practice of what is right and just. Justice or judgment in the KJV specifies what is right, not only as measured by a code of law, but also by what makes for, uh, for right relationship as well as harmony and peace. So the concept of justice is a biblical concept. It even shows up in the Bible dictionary. If I said commentary, I apologize. Bible dictionary. It's it's something that we should not be afraid of. We should not, oh, we can't talk about justice because what, what drives me crazy is Christians sometimes— we don't think things through. I, I really, I, I really, I've got to challenge us on this. We, we see the world doing something and they're like, oh, look, they're always talking about this social justice stuff. Well, we're, we're, we're not for that. And you're like, wait a minute. How about we're like, oh, you want to talk about social justice? Well, that's great. Let, let's talk about the concept of justice. What is justice? What is your definition of justice? Where does your de- definition arise from? What makes something just? What makes something unjust? Who determines that? We could get them into a philosophical discussion where we could circle them back around to a biblical definition of justice. And that God defines what is just and God defines what is unjust and that you need some kind of basis for for where your definition of justice comes from and your definition of what is unjust. Or it simply becomes your own personal opinion and it becomes a relativistic thing and therefore you can't condemn something that's unjust because it's only your opinion. We really could have a great conversation with the world about this, but Christians just want to, many Christians want to say, we're not one of you liberals. And it's like, oh, can we just stop that? Stop stop sounding like we all we do is watch Fox News and sound like we're Christians and have a meaningful conversation. So I don't know how people reacted to the title. I bet you some would immediately reject it. I thought it was, okay, justice in an unjust world. Okay, where are they going to go here? They say this, join... God, and pursuing justice in the face of indifference and oppression. Now, immediately, I notice what they're doing, right? I, If I had everyone in the church, I would say, okay, what are they doing, class? What are they doing? Well, they're immediately making it about us, which always bothers me, because they immediately, after they say, join God in pursuing justice in the face of indifference and oppression they immediately after that they have uh the reference to or they don't have the actual verses but they say they have Ob- Obadiah verses 1 through 4 and 10 through 17 so supposedly what they want us to do is to read these verses in Obadiah and that it it's to challenge us to join God and pursuing justice that makes me a little worried okay because what what is God? God is calling for, it sounds like, judgment and destruction and almost a war. Are you saying that I need to join God in a holy war against injustice? Well, we got to be careful here. What, what is going, how are they going to use this? So what we're going to do is I'm going to go to the adult personal study guide. I kind of want to go to the leader's guide, but I'm just going to go to the adult personal guide because everyone has access to this. All right, here we go. I'm clicking on it. All right. Now, the first thing I see It says introduction, and they have scales. And that gives me the impression of scales of justice. All right? Right? Scales of justice. Okay. All right. Maybe. All right. We'll go underneath that. Then this is immediately what they have to say. Seeking justice in an unjust world. All right? Question. Question. Now, I know this is supposed to be about Obadiah, but I wanted us to at least go through this and see what they're going to do here. Again, we, we we, we we want to work on Obadiah, but we also want to also use this as an opportunity to talk about all kinds of concepts that are very relevant to what's going on in our world. So let me just ask you this, from a theological perspective, do you believe as a Christian you have a biblical mandate, a biblical command For you to constantly be seeking justice in an unjust world. What do you believe your moral, biblical, theological responsibility is in a world where there's so much injustice? What do you think your responsibility is in seeking justice in that unjust world? What does that look like? Now, for many, it turns into protest and boycotts and uh, politics and I—that's where I have a problem. When you tell me I'm supposed to be seeking justice, what does that actually look like? Well, what what does that look like? Do 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 we stand by when and unjust when injustice is occurring? When there's unjust things occurring? When when, when do we? What, what, what is our responsibility as a Christian? Now, some Christians call for great involvement, great getting involved in all kinds. Of things. Others would say, I don't know, is that, is that really what we're called to do? Now, now look, there, there, this really gets to a major division in Christianity today. Some would argue that if I read, say, the New Testament, does Jesus really tell the disciples, hey, go out there and fight the injustices in the world. Or do you simply say, say, go out there and preach the gospel to people? Now, is the idea that if I preach the gospel to people and as people are converted, the conversion will ultimately fix the injustices in the world? Or do I, do I, in a sense, set aside the preaching of the gospel to fight the injustices? How, how is that supposed to work? There's not lots of disagreements on this. Let's read. As believers, we have the incredible opportunity, privilege, and responsibility of joining God and pursuing justice in our communities, cities, and country. Now, they say that we have a responsibility. Not only do we have an opportunity, not only do we have the privilege, we have a responsibility to pursue justice in our communities. So wherever you live, you look for injustice and you have a responsibility to go fix it. To pursue justice in the midst of that injustice. I don't know exactly. What does that look like? Now, this is what some people say turns into a social gospel. Where you start abandoning the gospel to to try to fix social issues. And try to fix uh, social justice. Now, where's the balance there? And does Obadiah have anything to say about this? Now, remember, they put together the Bible study. The fact that they use Obadiah, to me, is highly questionable for so many reasons. I mean, you're going to a minor prophet that's a prophetic book about Edom, and you're somehow going to somehow bring this into me saying, now this this is going to point to my responsibility. I'm already calling that into question, but I'm trying to set aside maybe their, their poor choice of a biblical text and just ask myself, what is my responsibility? What am I supposed to do? I will argue that I can go try to fix all the injustices in the world that I can. And, and look, how are you gonna fix the injustices? Think about it. You only really got two ways of fixing them. I'm gonna, I'm, I really want you to think about this. We, we, we need a chart, okay? Uh, we can make a chart of this. You name the injustice, whatever the, you think the injustice is. Poverty, uh, whatever you think it is. Uh, whatever horrible things you think are taking place. You can look at it, and you're like, "How can I fight this?" Now, you, your options is you can fight it in a, a pretty much a political way, right? Uh, you can try to you can, uh, I'll say, politically, protest or violence, right? Politically, you got to get the right people elected. Protest. We're going to boycott. We're going to protest. We're going to picket. Whatever. Okay. So You got the you got political protest, or you just resort to violence to try to fix it. All right, those are your three options I see from a kind of a worldly perspective. From a biblical perspective, I think the way is, yes, there's the injustice. I don't ignore it. I may preach against it. I may call it a sin, but my thing is to preach the gospel and as people get saved, that's how you ultimately change because I think if you go try to fix it politically or through violence or through boycotts, I will argue all injustice arises from depravity and all the laws, all the picketing, all the boycotting cannot change the depravity of the heart. Only the gospel has any impact on it. Okay. So they're going to make it a responsibility. All right, here we go. They say this often, the greatest obstacle to our engagement uh, let me read this again. Often, the greatest obstacles to our engagement are our own indifference and passivity. In the book of Obadiah, God used the prophet to speak clearly, harshly, and powerfully to the nation of Edom that their indifference, passivity, and self-seeking mindset. All right. Um, about their indifference, passivity, and self-seeking mindset. Now, let me make it very clear. Did... did was Obadiah said to go, hey, guys, you're too self-seeking. You're too passive. You are too, uh, you're indifferent, self-seeking and passive. Stop being that way. Or is it because you're that way, you're going to be destroyed? Okay. I, I don't, I don't know. Is, is Obadiah like, hey, Edom, guys, fix your self-difference. Stop being so passive. Come on. Stop being so indifferent. Or is it like, because you're this way you're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. You're going to be destroyed. Now, I, I, I don't think we can just ignore that fact, right? But, but let's continue. And I, what I want you to see from this is this is why I always tell you, study the text first before you go like to a Bible study guide or anything else. Because the Bible study guide here, what they're doing is they're imposing their presupposition upon the text, so by the time you get to the text, you're going to see what they're telling you is in the text. It's why you have to read it, study it, and observe it. So then when preachers come along and do this very same thing, what this is doing, this is what I call the the sermon. Okay, sermon Let me this is a very important lesson. As a as a someone who goes, if you go to church, hopefully if you're a Christian, you do. Let me tell you, the manipulation of the sermon begins with the introduction because in many cases the pastor is giving you his presupposition. He's giving you, in many cases, his conclusion about the text in the introduction. He's basically telling you this is what you're going to see in the text. Then he shows you what he already told you is there. Then he tells you what he already showed you in the text. So basically the introduction is here's what you're going to see then the sermon is, see, I told you this is what was here. And then the conclusion is, see, this is what, I, I told you this was what was there, and that's what was there. That to me is, is frustrating because you're not actually studying the text. You're just getting what he's telling you is in the text. Now, I understand that that's kind of how preaching is designed to work. And I know that my preaching violates that rule all day because what I like to do is like, hey guys, we're going to be studying this book. Let's figure out what's there. (laughs) Okay. And they're like, I'm not going to tell you what's there. In fact, I'm going to approach it like, I don't know. And you don't know. Let's work together to figure it out. Because if I, if I already have my conclusion, then I'm imposing it on the text and I, and I'm making you see, I'm not letting you see the text. I'm letting you see what I'm telling you is there. They're telling us what's there. That this is about injustice, and that Edom was well, they they didn't they didn't t- meet their responsibility to take care of the injustices in the world. Well, is that really what it, the book of of Obadiah is about? I mean, Obadiah one t- kind of gives us an idea. All right, um, and they go on to say, and I think you might be surprised to find how incredibly relevant the prophet's words are for us today. Join me with a tender heart as we dive into some hard topics in this study with the hope of loving Jesus more because of it. So, supposedly, this study is going to make us love Jesus more because of what we see in Obadiah. Again, there's just so much they are just throwing on the text. They're just laying layers of presupposition upon the text. That, That drives me crazy. All right, here we go. Now, special focus. Seeking justice. And an unjust world. They have here then a picture of a, of a sculpture of Martin Luther King Jr. And here's what they have here: the point. Join God in pursuing justice in the face of indifference and oppression. So they say the point here is for us to join God in pursuing justice in the face of indifference and oppression. Now, I, I don't, is that the point of Obadiah? I don't know. The passage, Obadiah verses one through four. So let's just read it. They gave us the point. Now let's read the text before we read anything else. Obadiah verse one, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. This is God going to go to war against Edom. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though uh, thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. All right, so verses one through four, I don't know where that has anything about us joining God and stopping in the face, uh, and pursuing justice. This is God pursuing justice. He doesn't need anybody. He's calling the heathen to join him in battle. Please note, the text literally says, we have sent, uh, there was a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen, arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. This is not calling me, it's calling the heathen to join God to go against Edom. So, so I, I'm already having a hard time where the, where they're going with this. Then they jump to verse ten. All the sinner, all the sinners of my people. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in. Uh, that's in Obadiah. That was, no, that was in. Where am I reading? That's Amos. Okay, uh, Obadiah verses ten through seventeen. All right, I forgot to turn the page here. Uh, oh man, they want us to read uh, ten through seventeen. All right, here we go. Ah, uh, man. They're, they're, they're just kinda, I don't like the way they jump around, but that's okay. All right. Obadiah, we read verses 1 through 4. Now verse 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shall be cut off forever. And the day that thou stoodest on the other side, and the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem. Even thou wast as one of them. All right. Now this is referencing that basically Edom. Just hey, when when Judah was being taken away, they were like, eh, whatever. When 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 Israel. When in other words, they watched what happened and they didn't care. They 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 just stood by and let these. they they, they almost rejoiced in it. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother and the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah and the day of their destruction, neither should thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, yet thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on the substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those uh, of his that did remain in the day of distress. In other words, Edom, they, they rejoiced and they did horrible things in, in regards to Judah and even those who were trying to escape. God is condemning them for the way they treated Judah, for the way they acted towards, well, God's covenant people. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done it shall be done upon thee, thy reward shall return upon to thine own head. For as as ye for as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and as though and they shall swallow down, they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now, this obviously now goes to almost a restoration of Judah and Israel. So, hey, Edom, I'm going to destroy you with the heathen. Why? Well, because you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have rejoiced and, and watched my covenant people be taken and destroyed, and you shouldn't have helped out, and you shouldn't have assisted. But here's what's going to happen. Judgment's coming upon all the heathen, and I'm going to restore them. Now, from that, they want us to learn that we're supposed to join God and pursuing justice. I, I, I think this is very questionable in how they're handling the text, but let's jump in. Now they have The Bible Meets Life. It was April 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, a city some considered to be the most segregated city in the United States and infamous for brutal violence towards African-Americans. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference had worked with the local government to address these issues to no avail. And so after months of planning and strategizing, they began their nonviolent protest, much to the frustration of white pastors in the area who criticized Dr. King and accused him of acting in a way that was unwise and untimely. Dr. King responded with his profound letter from a Birmingham jail. He boldly challenged the passivity, indifference, and self-preservation of the church leaders. He wisely reminded them that no one lives in a bubble. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The issues of passivity, indifference, and self-preservation are not new. These sins have plagued humans for centuries. In fact, they were the central topics of the prophet Obadiah, uh, that the prophet Obadiah addressed in his message to the nation of Edom. Obadiah's message is painful, but it has incredible application for us today. Again, does it have incredible application for us today? I mean, just think about what we read in Obadiah. Hey, Obadiah, or or, hey, Edom, judgment's coming upon you. You're going to be destroyed. Why? Well, because of, of your pride, your arrogance, your indifference, and the way you treated God's people, right? You're going to, your judgment is coming, right? Here's the reason why. And then here is the culmination of everything. Judgment's going to be, well, not just on Edom, on all the heathen and Israel's going to be restored. That's that's the basic message of Obadiah. But it's relevant for us. Okay, like I get a little nervous here, but let's see what they do with it, all right? Then they quote Obadiah one through four. I'm just going to read what they have here. I know we have already read it, but it's okay. The more we read it, the, the, the more it gets ingrained in our brain. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagles, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. All right, not, not uh, again, it, 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 this is very specific to what's going on. It, I mean, I, I still don't really know how they're going to try to pull from this, but let's, I, I'm going to give them every opportunity here. All right, so here they go. Those are notifications coming in from the Edify Christian podcast app. If you hear those sounds in the background, that's what that was. All right, here we go. Key word, Edom. Two nations were in Rebekah's womb. The younger twin, Jacob, would rule over the older Esau. Jacob's children became the Israelites. Esau's descendants became the Edomites. Genesis 36, 9. All right, good. They're giving us some history. They're giving us some biblical context. That's good. To set the stage for this study, we need to go back to Genesis, to the relationship between the twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Their relationship always seemed to be contentious. We see, that conf- we see that conflict when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup, Genesis twenty five, twenty seven through thirty four. Years later the brothers seemed to reconcile, Genesis thirty three, one through twenty, but they clearly didn't like each other, and neither and neither proactively fought for the good of the other. Clashes continued between the families. Jacob's descendants later became the nation of Israel, which eventually split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Esau's descendants became the nation of Edom. Through the history of the nations of Judah and Edom, they each struggled to gain and maintain power. They were neighboring countries who sometimes needed each other, but mostly hated one another. In the 6th century BC, after Judah had been invaded by another enemy nation, the prophet Obadiah comes on the scene, writing to declare divine judgment against Edom. One issue that led to Edom's downfall was their arrogance. Notice Edom's prideful question in verse 3, Who shall bring me down to the ground? The people of Edom valued their own strength and trusted in their own defense without regard for God's power and authority. As if as, as if, in response to their question, God promptly replied in verse 4, That even though they seemed to make their home among the stars, he could still bring them down. Edom could do absolutely nothing to stop what God had planned. The Edomites thought they were safe. They thought that they were protected. But God declared he was going to make them insignificant because their arrogant hearts had deceived them. They lived up in the hills and the cleft of the rocks whose habitation is high. Seemingly away from all dangers around them. Their arrogance had led them towards a sinful self-preservation that God condemned through the words of Obadiah. Don't get confused here. The issue wasn't what Edom had or possessed. The issue was their stewardship. We all have things we haven't earned or deserved. The sin in how we steward what we've been given can fall into three categories. Now, this is very interesting. Here, they're they're turning this into some kind of a discussion about stewardship. All right. So, there so it says their their arrogance led them to be a sinful self preservation that God condemned. In other words, that what they're saying is that Edom became all they cared about was themselves. That's all they that's all they cared about were themselves, and that this somehow became a Con- condemnation of their stewardship. They Their stewardship was self-focused, not on anyone else. Is that, I'm, I'm trying to follow, but let, let's see where they go here. They say the sin and how we steward, all right, so we, we, we can, can, can be given, can be fall into categories, that we can be bad, we can sin in our stewardship in three ways. One, the sins of omission. These are the things God commands us to do that for one reason or another, we simply don't do. This is a passive disobedience. So we can sin, so we have something. So in other words, God commands us to do something, and since we don't do it, it's a sin of omission. That that sin of omission doesn't have to just pertain to stewardship, it can pertain to anything. I'm, I'm still trying to follow the logic here, but that's okay. All right, sins of commission. This is the sin of active act of rebellion, actions we take that are unloving against God's desires. And then the sins of self-preservation. It's a sin when we only look out for what's best for us. This sin can easily look harmless, and after all, isn't it important to keep ourselves and our families safe? Isn't it important to accumulate wealth so that our grandchildren have security? But self-preservation is a worldly mindset. When we place ourselves first, Jesus commanded us to seek his kingdom first. So, they're going after the fact that this is basically a sin of self-preservation. That Edom was guilty of self-preservation. All right, let, let, Let's continue here. Edom was condemned for its passive disobedience and self-preservation. Their arrogance blinded them from seeing themselves as God sees them. From seeing the injustices around them, and from seeing the holiness of God, which kept them from fearing the Lord, any blessing or good thing we experience can lead us to arrogantly think we are stronger, smarter, or more deserving of God's gifts than those around us. We need to see all that we possess as a gift, so that we can uh, we can be a steward for the good of others and for the growth of the kingdom. We must choose whether we will act like the people of Edom or act. Like Christ. Wow. Now, I really wish we had, ever, okay, I really wish we had, I wish I had everyone in this sanctuary right now. Do we feel, honestly, I really, I really just want you to be honest. Can we say that Edom's sin was a sin of self-preservation? That, that what they're guilty of is only thinking of themselves. Their their sin is one of arrogance. They do seem to not care about Judah. They seem not to want to help Judah. They seem to rejoice in Judah's demise and downfall. But is that because of self-preservation or is it just because they've hated them for a very long time? Is it just like, hey, we're not helping you because we care about self-preservation or is it like we're not helping you because we hate you and we despise you and we, like what? I don't, self-preservation is more like, oh man, I know I need to help you, but ah, man, I gotta look out for number one first. I gotta look out for number one first. This, I don't think there was ever like, oh man, maybe I should help you. I think it was more like, we don't like you. You're our enemy. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, then they have 10 through 14. I'm gonna read this again. Here we go. Oh, I've got, I've got to try to finish this. Just, I I just want you to see what they have to do. Hopefully you'll find this beneficial. All right, here we go. For for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. And the day that thou stoodest on the other side, and the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into them, uh, entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother and the day that they became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day that their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Nor shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape, neither shouldst thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Now, here's what they have to say. In addition to the sin of arrogance, Edom faced a second indictment. They had betrayed Judah. This accusation may come as a surprise because theirs was a passive betrayal, yet Obadiah describes it as violence. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee. Thou shalt be cut off forever in the days that thou stoodest on the other side, and the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou, even thou wast as one of them. What did Edom do? The country stood aloof. The people just stood by. Edom may not have been directly invading Judah, but they took advantage of what was happening to Judah and profited from it. Their indifference was described as violence. The issue of indifference towards injustice that God condemned in Judah was the same issue Dr. King wrote about in his letter from a Birmingham jail. And then I will quote from the letter. We... We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wills of inevitability; in, in, in it comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without His hard work, uh, and without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively and the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Violent indifference and passive disobedience have particularly plagued American Christians when it comes to the issues of race and racial reconciliation. Sins of omission are not better or less damaging than sins of commission. Passive disobedience is active rebellion. Indifference is is violence. Edom's passivity and indifference in Judah's defeat was condemned as if they had been the very ones breaking down the gates and slaughtering the people inside. God didn't destroy Edom because they invaded Israel or stole land. God destroyed Edom because they did did nothing to stop it because they didn't care, because their only concern was their own profit and safety. Wow, there is a lot right there. There's a lot right here. Now, again, they're trying to use the story of Obadiah and, and the story of Edom. Now, there's no question, Edom set set aside, just stood aside and stood aloof and did nothing. But, they, and God basically condemns their actions as violence. They, by doing nothing, they were basically committing violence. They were just like the people who were breaking down the walls and taking people into captivity. They were guilty of that. There's no question about that. But is is Edom's judgment, one, based on the fact that they were doing this to God's covenant people that he had a covenant with, and he made a covenant that ultimately he's going to destroy his enemies, Um. I think that's the primary thing we must understand from the context. But let's say that this is true. Let, let's, let's, let's play a little, I, I love to do this when I'm confronted with a perspective. What I have a tendency to do is then say, okay, I'm going to agree with this perspective and then try to take it to its logical conclusion and see if I can maintain logical consistency. If the logical consistency breaks down, then I call into question that point of view. So let's play along that this is right. That Edom's sin was they stood by and did nothing, and this is a condemnation against any Christian in any point of history who stands by and does nothing in the face of injustice. All right, so let's say that that is true. Now, question. We see injustice, What are we called? We see we see injustice spreading. We see people doing unjust things. What are are we called to do? Now, let me again give you your options. You only have a couple of options here. One, you can turn to politics and try to fix it. Will that really fix the injustice? Maybe it will. Maybe. Maybe it will not. Even if it fixes it, it fixes it until, well, another party gets elected. It, it's, very a, it's a very temporary solution. It's very fleeting, and it doesn't change anybody's heart. Okay, let's make it very clear. It doesn't change anybody's heart. It may stop them from doing in unjust things, at least in a public way, but it doesn't change their heart. So, so there's limits to that. Okay, so let's say you turn—so as Christians, we now turn to politics. I, I just, I don't see that as a, a, a biblical solution. I just don't. All right, so, all right, you can go to the protest. You can protest. You can picket. You can boycott. Again, I you may get, you. I mean, you could argue that did the entire civil rights movement really hinge on these protests? And did that actually work? Okay, maybe, maybe you can make an argument there. Did it change anyone's heart? maybe it did. I mean, you you can make some arguments there. So you have politics, you have protests, or then you have violence. I mean, really, it's your only three options. Here's what my approach would be, and and see if this makes some sense to you. All right. There's injustice in the world. I see injustice. I see, I say something wrong. One, I don't engage in the injustice in any way, shape, or form. I do everything I can to stand with, stand by, protect, and help, love, provide for those who are suffering injustice, right? I I stand by them. I do everything I can to protect and stand with them. And most importantly, though, I preach the gospel, call people to faith in Jesus Christ, and try to spread the gospel to the people carrying out the injustice and the people suffering the injustice. That to me seems the more biblical way of, of thinking. Now, they quote from Martin Luther King, obviously here from the Birmingham jail. Let me go through his quotes again. We will, we will have to repent in this generation for not merely not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Now, when you say the appalling silence... Silence in what way? If churches were not saying the way these human beings are being treated as a result of the color of their skin, this is appalling, this is wrong, and this must be condemned because they are created in the image of God and we must view them as created in the image of God and we must show love to them and we should protect them. If churches were silenced and telling their people as Christians how to act, they should be condemned because churches should be telling should have been telling their people you go out there and you love those of a different color because it's not the color of their skin they're creating the image of God don't see the color of the skin see the image of God, which they were created in, that is marred by sin. They need to be loved, they need to show, be shown respect, and they need the gospel just like anyone of any color. Like, churches should have been teaching a correct understanding of people from a biblical perspective. That, now if that's the silence he's referring to, then yes, that has to be condemned. Now, is he saying silence in what other ways? In a political way? Now, you could argue what was the church's response ability in that particular time. He goes on to say in his letter from a Birmingham jail, um, human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability, if I can say the word right. Inevitability. In other words, progress doesn't just happen in an inevitable way. It's just inevitable. What's going to progress, things are going to get better. Martin Luther King is saying, it's not on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men. All right, hang on. My pa- the page just went crazy here. Um, the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And, uh, so in other words, the only way we're going to get progress is we have to be co-workers with God. Now, again, I would say, what does God call us to do? What does God call us to do? I agree that progress is not inevitable. But what does God call me to do? Well, God, what God calls us to do is love our neighbor, love our enemy and spread the gospel and live out our Christian life. Does, I mean, is that, is that, is that sufficient or do we have to do more that we, we can have a discussion here? All right. Um, it says here, so we have to be co-workers with God, and without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively and the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Now, again, I do believe that time is always right, ripe to do right, but what is to do right? Show love. Stand by them. Don't let someone speak if someone is calling them a name, stand up and say, no, that no, you no, I'm not going to let you call this person that name. This person is creating the image of God and I'm going to stand with them and show them love and protect them. I'll, I'll give you an example. If, if you owned a Christian business, like if you're a Christian and you own a business, well, you wouldn't. Obviously, you should not have been participating in segregation laws that said African Americans can only use the back door. You would not do that. You would be like, no, they can sit wherever they want. They're human beings, creating the image of God. Why would I? Why would I deny them basic human right? The, the, uh, the sanctity of why would you do that? You you would you would not you would say my business. I don't have to. I'm not going to follow that rule. That rule is unjust. That, that rule, no. Then there, there would be there that would be how you would do so. There's other things you could do, like if 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 you know, I, I, I'm thinking there's lots of like like I'm thinking of just personal individual things you could do as individuals, right? Like not segregate your church. There, there, that's what you could do, right? Hey, our church is open to anyone. If you're, if you're of another race, you're just as welcome in this church as anyone of, uh, who, who, who's, whatever, whatever the racial d- separation is, we, you, you can do things that way. So, yeah, um. Yeah, and then they they they, they I'm just going to read this uh, paragraph again. We're going to run out of time. Violent indifference and passive disobedience have particularly plagued American Christians when it comes to issues of race. Now, violent indifference and passive disobedience have particularly plagued American Christians when it comes to issues of race. Uh, look, I think there's been some messed up things about, obviously the church has been very guilty when it comes to racial issues. There's just no way to get around it. Churches did crazy things, didn't take a stand, didn't show love. I mean, just some absolutely abhorrent things. So I think from a Christian perspective, the church needed to be fixing the church before we tried to fix the, I think once again, what we see is if you're going to put it in, in the context of Martin Luther King, the civil rights situation, before we tried to fix the culture, the church should have been fixing itself. The church was so messed up that it had no moral standing to fix the culture. I mean, the church was so messed up on the issue that it couldn't fix the culture. The church was more influenced by the culture than the church was influencing. the In fact, I will argue that in many cases, the culture influenced the church more about race than the church influenced the culture. Now, maybe I cannot completely prove that historically. I will say in some parts of the world, that's clearly in some parts of America. That was absolutely true. The culture helped change the church's mind. The church wasn't changing the culture. Where are the stories of churches going no, we're I mean like I think the the church was a mess at that point in time, so I think there's some truth here um sins of omission are not are, are not better or less damaging than sins of commission passive disobedience is active rebellion, indifference is violence. Adam's passivity and indifference and in Judah's defeat was condemned as if they had been the very ones breaking down the gates and slaughtering the people inside now there's there's no question. Edom is condemned for that. There's no question. Edom is condemned for that. I just don't think that that's necessarily the message of the book. Maybe there's some personal application there. I just think there's so much in Obadiah to try to figure out historically and prophetically that it's really hard to just ignore all of that and say, hey, look, they were indifferent. Are we indifferent? There there may be application. I don't want to say there's no application. But I'm just trying to figure out what does it look like? I mean, these these are important topics. The one thing I do love about the Bible study guide or the curriculum for this week is it does raise these very uncomfortable issues. How do we deal with these issues? How do we deal with these, these situations from a biblical perspective? I think there's some active things we're supposed to do, obviously. Love, care for the people. There's things actively. I just don't know. Like, I know it always turns into, well, we got to vote. We got to fix it politically. And I just think, I just think that there's such a limit to political solutions. Maybe I'm too, uh, I don't know. Um, And then we'll read this. God's judgment has not changed. I feel deep concern for our churches today. How often do we sit passively by like Edom while our neighbors suffer? How often do we choose indifference to avoid the inconvenience of dealing with the injustice around us? How often do we make decisions based on self-preservation instead of kingdom growth? These sins are weighty and costly. They cost the lives of our neighbors. They cost our own relationship with God and with others, and they lead to destruction. Now, you gotta be careful. They're, They're borrowing too much from, remember, what's happening in Edom was prophesied by God that he, that Israel's enemies would be destroyed. Remember, this has a lot to do with God's promises to Israel and covenant. You got to be careful not to just make that like applicable in every area. There's some things applicable here. The question is, I, I, this is what I know from a biblical perspective. If you don't show love to people in an active way, that's a sin because you're told to love your neighbor. If you don't show love even to your enemies in an active way, that's a sin because you're told to do that. All right, that's a fact. that That's what you're called to do, All right? Now, what does that look like in the face of injustice? What, what do you do? I think there's a time we have to get involved, but I, I want to get involved in a more personal level, not so much in a political level or in protest. I, I, I'm more like, okay, I'm going to stand, oh, here, I see the situation, I'm going to stand up for that individual. I'm going to do something for that individual. Wait, you're going to treat that individual like less than human? I'm going to stand up right there next to them. I, I, I'm going to put myself on the line and stand for them. Like the, And that situation, I'm going to make sure that, look, I, I may not be able to fix all the problems going down you know, down the street, downtown, and whatever major city. But I know this, that whatever race you are, you can walk into this church, you're going to be treated as a human being, you're going to be treated equal. Because you are creating the image of God just like us. The church could have been providing what the world... In other words, the church could have been an example to the world. Hey, we eat together. We sit together. We sing together. We partake of the Lord's Supper together. We get baptized in the same baptistry. We use the same bathrooms. Because these are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. The church... Instead of worrying about the the fighting it from a political standpoint, what was what was the church doing to demonstrate it? Now, there's some churches who obviously were handling it the right way, obviously, and there were some churches that were not. Yeah, I know I'm I'm raising all kinds of questions here. I'm raising all kinds of questions here. I, the The reason I'm trying to the, the reason I'm thinking about this and just just. And I, I know I'm an hour, just got I'm just going to throw this out there for discussion. I know it's Friday and I'm bringing up lots of issues pertaining to this, but, um, and I would challenge you to read the, the rest of the curriculum. Uh, there, there's, there's not, there's not much left, but I would challenge you to read the rest of it. But I, I'll just raise this question here. See if I can find it really quick. Because th- this is a controversial part of the Bible. And, and they're not going to mention it, but I, we have to mention it here. Let me see if I can find it, because it's very controversial. Um let's see here. Where can I find it? Uh let's see here. Uh, okay. Yes. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Ephesians 6, 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servant of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now, that idea of servants seems to be servant, slave, submitting to and obeying their master. Now the reason I bring this up is the Bible doesn't seem to call for hey we got to fix this the Bible seems to imply how to act in the midst of this injustice and which is very like uncomfortable the way we read it I'm not saying the Bible is con- is approving of the system But it's saying when you find yourself in this system, you are to focus on this kind of obedience. Now, you would hope that Christianity would lead those to not enslave people or have people as slaves, obviously, and treat them as equal and treat them as someone worthy of their work to be paid and cared for. Um, I'm just saying that the New Testament doesn't seem to call for a massive movement of fixing social injustices through politics or protest. It seems to be saying, if you're in it, this is the way you live. Here's how we are to live as Christians, love, love, serve, serve, and then preach the gospel and focus on the kingdom of God and know that we're just, we're, we're, we're strangers here. I know that's not satisfying to some. Some would say that that's absolutely horrifying. And there are some things about it I don't necessarily like, I'm just trying to think about it from a philo- I'm trying to think about it from a theological perspective being as biblical as possible now what would now some would argue well if we took the biblical approach would things have ever changed that's a very good question does the Bible seem to call for a passivity what's well, not passive for you to obey and submit trying to please God in a horrible situation that's not Passive loving your enemy is not passive. Turning the other cheek is not passive. Those require active involvement. It it, it does raise lots of questions, and I think this is why many people feel. And, and I think, and, and, and I do understand our culture uh, from I, I do understand at least how they feel. If you're looking in the world and you see all this injustice, injustice, injustice racism and this and this and misogyny and and just, just go on and just name whatever words that they're using. And let's say they're, they're, you're right. The culture is completely messed up. They may ask, well, does your Bible provide an answer for it? Does your Bible provide a solution? Now, the, the, the curriculum wants us to fight against the injustices in the world, but they're pointing us to Obadiah as somehow proof like, here, go fight it. But is, is Obadiah telling us to go fight the injustice? No, I, I think if it if it if 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 it gives us if it moves us in that direction, I have to turn to the New Testament. So what does the New Testament call me to do? Well, I actively love, actively serve, provide, protect. You you can let me know what you think. I'm gonna stop right there. We're in an hour and five minutes. Oh man, that raises some tough questions. <laughs> it raises some difficult questions that I, that I don't necessarily like. Mm. I, I don't necessarily like and it, and, it, and what makes it very difficult is the curriculum obviously purposely is using the situation when Martin Luther King, he's in the jail in Birmingham, Alabama, his letter. They're definitely mixing that into it, and 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 I just I don't know if Obadiah has a good answer for that. I mean, because you you remove it from that situation, okay? What, what how does that apply in twenty twenty two? What do we do? So what, what what was Edom to do? Was Edom? So you're saying the right thing for Edom to do was to take up arms and to go in and fight the people, try, fight the Babylonians and stopping them from taking Judah. So you're telling me that I should go and fight? Like you got to be careful how you, you see where that leads to? Hey, injustice, we're going to go burn your building down and fight you because you're unjust. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't think the Bible would justify that, would it? See, you, you you run into all kinds of philosophical issues here. They say, well, no, no, no. It's a nonviolent standing. Okay, well, then don't use Edom because Edom couldn't have just went in and said, we're going to nonviolently protest Babylon, Babylon <laughs> for taking away Jews. No, they would have been slaughtered. So uh, no, there, there would have been a call for them to fight with them, right? So I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how that's transferable there. There's some principles there. What are we called to do? I'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. What an interesting, yeah. And now my brain is going to just, my brain's going to, not only is Obadiah hard enough to figure out, (laughs) now they just brought in so many issues that are hard to figure out. And now I don't know which, like, you know, remember those scales? At the uh, and the uh, the opening like picture in the in the study guide yeah now now I'm putting like okay figure out Edom wait a minute how does this apply to us today yeah the, now trying to figure all of that out is a lot to consider but I can't wait to get your thoughts and your feedback just just share away news at yahoo.com or talk about it in the Discord channel can't wait to hear and see everyone's thoughts I'm sure this just just makes you, we don't want to be make this controversial and fight one another. We want to really try to figure out as much as we can, what is a biblical understanding to all of the issues raised in the Bible study curriculum for this week and our study. All right. Thanks. Let's talk. All right. Everyone have a great night. God bless.